Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that, per the MCC's new updated laws, now falls under fair play. Or it may actually be referring to something else. Don't fact check me on this. Anyway, I'm your host Benny and thank you for tuning in. This week we are joined by a special guest from Down Under, Matt Ellis. Matt is the host of the first established cricket podcast in Australia, the Cricket Library Podcast, which he started in 2012. He has been on commentary teams for Australian domestic cricket fixtures, as well as being a regular guest sports reporter on ABC Centre West and Western Plains and Rima FM Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia. He is also the author of a new book, For the Love of Cricket, Haiku Poems Inspired by the Summer Game. So we spoke with him about the book and discussed the ongoing Australian tour of Pakistan, among various other things. Now, before we get to that, though, a quick housekeeping note. The Last Week at Podcast will be taking a short break after this episode. Now, it could be a week, two weeks, or even three weeks. And uh, you might see a lot more of these breaks in the coming months as your hosts get occupied with some commitment or the other. So please follow us on social media or visit thelastweekend.com for regular updates on our show. Meanwhile, I do want to give a shout out to a friend of the pod, Sakibali of the Cricket with an Accent podcast. He recently did a touching episode on Shane Warren with special guests Aftab Khanna and Vijay Arumugam. So trust me, you will have to check it out. All right, stay tuned for our conversation with Matt Ellis after a brief audio passage from his new book, For the Love of Cricket, Haiku Poems Inspired by the Summer Game. One wicket in hand, two balls to go. I'm falling more in love with Test cricket by the minute. New Zealand captain Jeff Crow makes an adjustment to the field and the tension builds at the MCG while there is complete silence in the living room. Whitney is now surrounded by fielders close to the bat just waiting for him to make an error of judgment and pop up a catch. 
Hadley gets it spot on again. But Whitney is up to the task, getting bat and pad close together, playing a forward defensive shot straight back down the wicket. Australian flags are waving and the MCG crowd are going crazy. But there's still one ball to negotiate. This is it. The moment of truth. Whitney nervously taps the bat, taking in big breaths while his adversary, RJ Hadley, wipes the sweat from his brow and plans his final delivery. It's full and straight. Whitney moves into position and stoically defends it. I jump in the air in sheer jubilation as Whitney punches the air celebrating his finest hour, more precisely 23 minutes, at the crease. McDermott and Whitney embrace before shaking hands with their rival Hadley, who had provided them with a compelling challenge. People often ask me why I love cricket, and there are so many reasons. It was this game, however, that lit the fire inside and started what has become a passion for the game. Every summer, memories are created, and this summer will be no different. There'll be boys and girls watching their heroes in stadiums and on television sets. In the following pages, you'll find my recollections on a selection of moments, players and nuances of the game itself that have helped to shape my love of cricket. Each summer, there will be many more to add. Samad, when when we, you know, we confirmed that you were going to be coming on our show, we had all these topics in mind, a lot of interesting, exciting conversations to talk about. Um, And we'll get to that. uh, But obviously... Before anything else, we have to talk about um, some of the more sadder or unfortunate news that has come up recently. And and for our listeners, uh, just to let you know, we recorded this conversation just a couple of days after uh, the passing of Shane Warren. So, you know, when you're listening to it, it just may seem a little, uh, a lot later. Uh, but yes, like I mentioned, you know, the, the news of Shane Warren uh, Shane Warren's untimely death, and that's this was very close on the heels of uh, the news of the death of Rodney Marsh, and we didn't even have time to process that before we got this shocker. So I, I guess that's where we need to start off with. Um, and so, Matt, you know, I, I, I was telling you very briefly offline that even as Indian fans, um, for a lot of us, this loss really feels personal because. You know, when I started following the game in the late 90s, there were three cricketers I was a huge fan of. Um, one, obviously, Sachin Tendulkar. If you're an Indian, it's almost, you know, you have to be a big fan of him. Uh, but the second was uh, Wasim Akram. Um, and the third was Shane Warren. And the thing about Shane Warren is his bowling action was this perfect thing that could, it, it, on the surface, it just seemed that could be easily replicated. And... I, I was never a leg spinner, but I would just unconsciously just be doing that bowling action uh, when we were playing, uh, you know, our, when we would play just between us like friends. And so all these years later, that's like a 20 year association. And even for someone that we don't know personally, we have seen him on TV. We have, you know, listened to, uh, to his commentary. Uh, this is what we know about him, but it feels so much more, it feels like it has hit hard for a lot of people who who not even known him personally. And for you as an Australian, I'm, how does this loss feel, feel for you, you know, as someone who's followed the game and who's, you know, followed Australian cricket so closely, uh, what about Shane Warren? What does Shane Warren mean to you? 
Well, Shane Warne, for me, is an icon of Australian cricket, uh, a modern great, someone who changed the way we looked at leg spin bowlers, someone who redefined the craft in the 90s. And as a youngster growing up in the 90s, the amount of kids that would have had Shane Warne posters on their walls, that would have been out in the backyard trying to roll out leg spinners because of Shane Warne and the the many that are still lifelong lovers of the game were probably impacted in the same way I was by watching him perform his craft on the world stage. And it's a really sad time for the Australian cricket family. And for me personally, it's it's something that I'm still processing, uh, in all honesty. It's something that I still don't think I can believe is real. And, yeah, it's it's really tough coming to terms with with the sudden and untimely loss of the great Shane Keith Warne and really thinking of his family, uh, particularly his children, his mum and dad, uh, at, at a really difficult time and hoping that we can all celebrate the legacy of Shane Warne. And it's great to see that they have decided to name the Great Southern Stand at the MCG, the SK Warne Stand, in in the great man's honour. And uh, I I definitely think uh, Shane Warne is a player we'll, we'll still be viewing as one of the best ever in 50, 100 years' time. He, he will be an all-time great of the game and, and he's sorely missed. So, Matt, uh, let's talk about Rodney Marsh. Um, you know, obviously a lot of space has been taken up, you know, in the last 24 to 48 hour, hours over Shane Warren and it's almost easy for non-Australian cricketing public to forget that another legendary Australian cricketer passed away recently. So what is the impact of, you know, what is his impact on Australian cricket? Because from the little that I've seen and read about him, you know, he, he is a star in his own right. Uh, Obviously not to the level of Shane Warren, but he himself had a lot of impact as a player, but even post you know, his playing days, he had a lot of impact on Australian cricketers coming up through the ranks. So can you talk to us a little bit about his legacy and what he meant to Australian cricket? Oh, Rodney Marsh's contribution to Australian cricket is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I, I grew up at the back end of his career, so I didn't get to see a lot of him play other than watching old videotapes when I was growing up, you'd hear about this legendary Rodney Marsh and they'd replay catches of, of that he was taking off Dennis Lilly's bowling and things like that. And uh, the first Australian wicketkeeper to score 100 in, in Test Match cricket. So uh, a wonderful career uh, on the field and in an era when you had the Chapels and, and Lilly, as we mentioned, uh, a great time. Uh, for those guys as players, but certainly the flow-on effect once he'd retired and got himself involved into coaching and setting up the Australian, it, it, the, the Cricket Academy here in Australia, down at Glenelg in South Australia, 
and the crop of players that came through that became the next generation. Uh, Rodney Marsh inspired guys like Adam Gilchrist, probably the the greatest keeper batsman that I've seen in my lifetime and uh, so many others under his tutelage down there at the Australian Cricket Academy. And then to go and replicate something similar in the UK and and I, I, I often wonder what it's like for guys going uh, going and working in other countries and developing players in other countries. But it just shows that the love of the game and the desire to progress the game as a whole was more important to Rodney Marsh. And Rodney Marsh cared about the game. And and that right. is why we're still talking. That's why we're still talking about him. Yeah, that's why we have the Ricky Pontings. That's why we have the Adam Gilchrist, like guys like Rodney Marsh putting putting time and energy and 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 transferring that knowledge and those skills uh, and preparing the next generation to be legends. It, it, it is incredible, especially when players who, uh, when cricketers who haven't played for a while, um, when their legacies live on through, you know, current players or through upcoming players, because we know and we have seen a lot of you know, cricketers, when they're done with their playing days, they try different ventures. They go into, they they kind of move outside of cricket sometimes. You know, if they cannot land a, uh, you know, a cushy commentary gig or anything else, you know, they want to go try something else. And it, it's easy to kind of fall out of love with the game. Uh, so for someone, you know, the likes of Rodney Marsh and Shane Warren to put so much back into the game that gave them so much and, we are seeing it now in real time, like the impact that it has had, not just um, in the cricketing fraternity, but even among fans, people who've had fleeting connections with them, um, what it has meant. So uh, it is an incredible loss, you know, the, the last uh, couple of days, just Ronnie Marsh and Shane Warren. And um, we're, we're just very privileged, I would say, as uh, not just Australian, but for the cricketing public, for cricketing fans, you know, the impact that they've had. And uh, we, we've been very fortunate to have witnessed uh, even a little that we got to see, uh, at least from for Shane Warren, that we got to see and read about for Rodney Marsh. Um, so th thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, so well, let, let's get to you. Uh, so, Matt, I'm, I'm curious how you got into cricket, because I feel like every one of us, all us cricket fans, have different journeys, you know, some of us watch um, a fascinating character like Shane Warne and, and start imitating that character in their backyard. Some want to play cricket, uh, but everybody has their own way of getting into the game and getting hooked. Um, curious how you got started. Yeah, it's a really good question, Mayak, because uh, so many of us fall in love with the game. And and for me, I, I played a little bit of backyard cricket with my older brother. In Australia, backyard cricket, was just what you did in summer. You'd, you'd kick the footy around in winter and you'd uh, get the stumps in the ground and roll out as best you could a bit of a surface to, to play some backyard cricket on growing up. And uh, the interesting thing for me is my mum and dad weren't really cricket tragics. They weren't kind of um, as in love with the game as I am. Uh, but for, for some reason... Uh, the, the first memory I have, we we're at a, a family gathering just after Christmas when the Boxing Day test was on. Australia were playing New Zealand 
and the family was sort of all gathering outside and the adults were all chatting and I snuck inside, turned the television on and I'm sitting there watching Richard Hadley try to take down the Australians at the MCG. Hadley, one of the greatest fast bowlers I've ever seen on, on television. I didn't get to see him live. I saw him bowling on the television, but uh, I, I was just captivated by this test match. And I was, I must have been eight or nine years old. I wasn't, I wasn't very old. Uh, and I, I was sitting there watching it. And as it got closer and closer to the finish of the game, and you've got Michael Whitney, the Australian fast bowler, not known for his exploits with the bat, He's there facing up to this gigantuan task of of surviving uh, for the draw. And family members started coming in from outside and we're all sort of gathering around the TV and I'm there front and centre. And I, I'm watching this guy play forward defences, attempt to play forward defences, and it just had me in. And it was... Uh, Michael Whitney lasted 23 minutes at the crease and it, it was that... <laughs> It was that 23 minutes that had me. That was the hook. And from then, uh, it's it's just grown. It's grown from uh, playing club cricket, uh, playing a bit of representative cricket in Sydney, playing a bit of grade cricket in Sydney, uh, coaching. I've been coaching teams since I was about 15 years old. I started coaching the, the local under-10s team when I was still at school. Um yeah, so it it it's flowing through my blood somehow for some reason, but um, <laughs> it's it, it, it's a it's a real pleasure to to be involved in the game that I love so much. You know, you you say backyard cricket; it almost sounds like a cliche at this point uh, for Australian uh, cricket fans. It seems like every story we hear, but even about the Australian cricketers, like I know the Wad twins, uh, didn't, didn't they do something similar? They also started like just playing backyard cricket. But in their case, I think their parents were cricket tragic. So probably that was the difference between you and Steve Waugh, I would say. <laughs> and and a little bit of skill. I think Stephen Waugh might have had a little bit more skill than me. but uh... Yes, just a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> so... So, so you channeled this into a very uh, impressive little career, um, and we we kind of talked all about that in in the uh, intro for the, for this episode. Uh, but I'm very curious about your podcast uh, in uh, very specific to your podcast because uh, our podcast, both the Last Wicked podcast and the Cricket Library podcast. Both were nominated for the Sports Podcast Awards in the Best Cricket Podcast category. So I did not know about your podcast till I saw your name there. So I'm very curious to know more about it. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, uh, interestingly, I started podcasting uh, when I was at university um, many years ago now. we I did an ed- education degree and they were teaching us how to use technology in the classroom. And I'm thinking, oh, this this is pretty good. I could I could jump on here and talk about cricket. And so I, I learned how to do it yeah. at uni and cricket was my passion. And so once a week I'd jump on the computer and I'd be um, just recording my thoughts about what was going on mainly in Australian domestic cricket. I love, I love the Sheffield Shield. I love the Women's National Cricket League. Uh, and I'd be talking about 
Australian domestic cricket. Uh, a, a local radio station picked it up. So what what it basically was, it became a radio show that uh, was also podcasted as well. And then about about two or three years ago, I decided I wanted to kind of take things up a couple of notches and and start having some longer form interviews with cricket people and people that have have been inspired by a love of the game and people that have been impacted by cricket in a really positive way. Much the same as what you guys do. You guys, you guys are doing a, a very similar thing where we're bringing people together, we're sharing stories, we're igniting, we're igniting a love of the game by the telling right. of stories. And, and that, and that's what I love. I love, I love hearing why people uh, decided to love the game. And that's something that I ask my guests as well, because it's fascinating because for n some people it's the stereotypical, yeah, they just grew up their bigger brother loved it. And so they just played or whatever, but th there's lots of different stories out there. And um, I, I love having the opportunity to tell them. And that's a, a great segue into your book, uh, For the Love of Cricket, Haiku Poems Inspired by the Summer Game. And you co-authored this with uh, Matt Fiction. Uh, I think he's the one who contributed the, the haiku poems. And I understand that he's pretty popular for this. Uh, so, so what was the idea <laughs> behind this specific way to talk about your love for the game? Well... I think what got me started, I'd been wanting to put pen to paper for a long time and I, I, I've written stuff for newspapers and written stuff for online uh, online platforms and, and I run the cricketlibrary.com where I'll, I'll, I'll put, put written work out there. But I'd always wanted to do something uh, in book format of a cricket nature. And then a few years ago, we had this segment on the podcast where we were doing these cricket themed haiku poems and i thought these these haiku poems haiku poem just for those who who aren't aware what a haiku poem is it's it's a japanese type of form um type of poetry and this is something i learned about again uh as a school teacher uh and what i love about these poems is they're very easy to write and so it's very easy to engage reluctant writers to have a go uh, at, at writing a poem. They're just three lines. Uh, there's five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, and five syllables in the third line. And so we ended up getting this great collection of haiku poems. And I thought, well, let's, let's work those in with some stories about the game, stories about cricket. So in the prologue of the book, which, which you guys have had a bit of a listen to, um, there's that story I told of, of watching Michael Whitney defy Richard Hadley to get a draw for Australia. Uh, and then there's a little right. haiku poem at the end of the chapter that goes with it. So uh, it's, it's a short read. It's a very quick one. Um, it's, not, it's not War and Peace. It's not Stephen War's autobiography by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's a bit of fun. And, and, and it's, again, another way... To get people excited about the game that we that we all love, so so you're you're targeting a very specific market here, uh, haiku very niche, fans. <laughs> very 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 <laughs> niche audience. But uh, 
I think I, I think what I like what I like about it is there's not actually there's not actually many cricket poetry books out there. I think if you if you search through Wikipedia or if you search through anywhere for for cricket poetry, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of books out there, but mm-hmm. I certainly I certainly couldn't find any haiku poem cricket books in my in my in my in my researching for the book. So I, I feel like it's unique um and the right kind of person will really enjoy it. But but that that is very fascinating to me because for you that was your way of you know expressing your love for the game and you know we we on this podcast we've talked about uh, how cricket fans today we have so many different mediums to kind of you know express our love or express our passion for the game. Some people love to play it. Uh, some people like to dissect it. They break down the numbers. They do the analytical stuff. Um, Some people like me, we like to talk about it. And then you have the ones who like to write poems. So it it takes (laughs) all kinds um, to kind of talk about and share their love for the game. Absolutely. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing to that, right? Yeah. Cricket has a rich literature in general, right? Compared to most other sports. And in that, you found a niche for haiku poems, right? Like, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, you you are spot on. You're spot on, Nish. Like the the way you can express your love for cricket can be in 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 so many forms. And there's been so many great books. I've got a shelf of great books behind me on 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 the shelf here. I've got another shelf in another room. I've got another couple of shelves through there as well. Um, and it's that written expression, and and people do it differently. Um, so. Yeah, really, really happy to have it finished. It's taken me taken me quite a long time to actually uh, finish it off. I sort of um, I'm married. I've got three kids. I work full time, so it's kind of been my eight pm to ten pm at night project. Just sort of sitting, typing away at the keyboard, trying to work out what'll fit with the palms, and um, yeah, piece, piecing it all together. So uh, it's been a lot of fun and very rewarding experience to. To, to, to click the button on Amazon to say publish uh, was very scary, but uh, very satisfying. At the moment, it's only available uh, in ebook format, but I'm actually working on an audio version. So you'll be able to, like, I'm going to get that that worked on as scheduled, scheduled for release in July, all going to plan. And then um, heaps of people have been saying to me, oh, Matt, we're just going to wait so we can actually get our hands on a copy. We love having a cricket book in our hands. So uh, hoping for hoping for July, uh, late July, early August for the for the hard copies to be out. But at the moment, it's been it's been getting getting some some good numbers on on Kindle. So we we recently uh, Kindle do do rankings on on the on the books. So we. We did hit number one in Australia for a couple of hours there on a couple of days. So they update the they update the charts every hour. So um, one minute you could be number one, the next minute you could be number seven or number twenty six or number thirty five or whatever. Doesn't really matter. It's just it's so thrilling for me right. to see to see the book there on the same page as some of the great books that I've read. So um, and for me, if no one ever read the book, it's been a real it's been a real privilege. 
to write it. So uh, it's been 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 a really good process to, <laughs> well, to go we'll, through. Well, we'll do our bit. We'll definitely do our bit to promote your book and get more people uh, listening. But Matt, um, I I, want to make sure the other Matt gets a fair bit of attention as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. What can you tell us about uh, his contribution? Uh, He's a very interesting character. The the, the Matt Fiction character, uh, yeah, he came about, um, he came about, a couple of years ago, oh, quite a long time ago with the Matt Fiction Book Club. So the idea behind the Matt Fiction Book Club is that um, when you finish reading a cricket book that you like, you uh, think of you think of someone who you think would really like to read it, you write them a little letter and you put the book in the mail and you send it to them mm-hmm. and you say to them, I reckon you'll love reading this and I reckon you should think about who you could send a book to, to read. So that started, I think that was started back in about 2004. So the Matt Fiction Book Club and um, yeah, Matt, Matt Fiction has contributed lots to the Cricket Library podcast, a, a regular guest. He's, he does a little bit of stuff on YouTube and on, on the Cricket Library YouTube channel. He's, he's pretty prolific on there. He does these little short videos you don't ever get to see his face, um, but, but he's, 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 quite, I he's why. quite illustrious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I know he's got it. The, the Matt Fiction character does have a bit of a cult following, I think is probably the way to describe him the best. Uh, yeah, lots lots of people love, <laughs> love, love, love the Matt Fiction side and sometimes... Sometimes uh, I don't give Matt Fiction the airtime that he probably deserves. So thank you for asking about him. <laughs> Which is why I was <laughs> emphasizing that it's co-authored. I want people yeah, to know yeah. the distinction here, but uh, yeah. at the same time, yeah, that's good. probably we should clarify who really is yeah. Matt Fiction. You know, people are going on Google and searching, who is Matt Fiction? Anyway, yeah, that's right. I'm glad that's we could right. clarify that's... that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> All right. Well, well let's dive to uh, Australian cricket. So we are, I mean, Australia is in Pakistan now after what mm. seems like eons, right? In terms of, you know, there are countries which haven't played each other for like God knows how long. Only cricket has that going for it for some weird reason. But anyway, Australia are there now after 24 years, right? Um, you know, after much commotion and much uh, speculation, thankfully. We have a full strength, close to full strength mm-hmm. Australian squad in Pakistan right now. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, um, forgetting about the first two days of yeah. play, <laughs> which hasn't gone quite up to plan, but, you know, what, what is your general reaction? Oh, we are so excited. Like, all, all of my cricketing friends, we are absolutely pumped. And for a couple of reasons, just the the sheer amount of time in between tours uh but the good thing for us here is the the timing of the games we can go to work we can come home from work and we can watch cricket till we go to bed uh and so it's been it's been yeah. it's been fantastic from that point I of could, view but we can totally <laughs> identify with that by the way <laughs> so like Yesterday, classic example, the Australian women's team were playing in their first World Cup game against England 
uh, India playing Pakistan today. I've just been watching that just before chatting to you guys. Uh, loving, loving the World Cup, just as a side note. But um, the test match cricket in Pakistan, my, my memories of it are uh, the pieces I can remember, the Damien Fleming hat-trick. Uh, I think Justin Langer may have made his first test century against Pakistan in Pakistan. Obviously, Mark Taylor's 334, not out, declaring. Um, and then uh, some debutantes. Back, I think back in I think back in '98, it might have been Bevan, Michael Bevan debuted, Damien Fleming debuted, uh, Fleming debuted in '94. But I think Phil Emery also had his Test debut, uh, and he's one and only Test match over in in Pakistan as well. Uh, so yeah, lots lots of history from there. And and the other obscure one from Pakistan, which I really enjoy and no one's actually been able to to get any visual footage of this was Javed me and dad back at, it might, might have been about 1984 uh I might, no 1988 sorry i think it was um batting in a i love new york baseball cap and in, in a test match <laughs> And and so um, it, Steve, Steve Waugh mentions it in his book. T- Tim May mentions it in his book. And on Twitter a few years ago, we we're trying to find footage. And I've actually got DVD footage of of, of that test match here um, in my cricket library. But I, I've gone back and watched the footage. And it's really hard because like, it's old grainy. It's quite grainy footage. And it's quite hard to detect the I Love New York cap. But apparently that happened but um this series this series for our players to have the opportunity particularly someone like an Usman Khawaja I'm absolutely thrilled for him a that he's made his way back into the Australian team after a long time outside he's come back into the team made those back-to-back hundreds uh against England and now he has the opportunity to go back to Pakistan and play test cricket probably something that he he, he may have had times when he, he would have thought that would never actually happen. So particularly thrilled for him, hoping that he can score some runs today. Um, uh, but on, on the whole, just really, and, and sell out crowds. The crowds, the crowds are, are going nuts for mm. test cricket. And that, that just says to me that the, the five day format of the game still has a massive appeal all around the world. There are people there are people that would myself included that would love to be there in person to watch that game of cricket and uh, that that's the feeling among my friends and um, all, all the guys and girls that I'm talking to that love the game this is this is huge for cricket. There are there are specific teams in international cricket that it almost feels like uh, a team has to come up against another specific team for the sparks to fly. So, for example, I feel like if, let's say, Pakistan played Bangladesh, right? Um, it, it'll be a, it'll probably be a good series. It'll probably be mostly friendly. Uh, but if they come up against Australia, suddenly Pakistan, the same players, they are suddenly different. And I think it's the same for Australia. Australia will play, let's say, New Zealand, and it's a, a different atmosphere, a different vibe. And then they come up against a team like 
Pakistan or India, and suddenly it's different. The players change. Uh, I mean, the players are the same, but everything else changes. The the competitiveness and the atmosphere, and it always makes for memorable encounters. And I think that's where I think when you put up all the rivalries and all the team uh, contests together, I think in terms of excitement for even neutral uh, cricket fans, I think Pakistan, Australia has to be right at the top. For me, one of the most enduring uh, memories is Shrebakhtar bowling to uh, Hayden and, you know, just that contest. So that for me is really uh, the perfect uh, example of that. And I, I, again, when this episode comes out, the first test match is already going to be over. Uh, but just based on the first two days, I would say this is not a true reflection of, you know, the strengths of these two sides, the comparative strength of these two sides. So in, in that respect, how, uh, you know, the fact that Australia, you know, like Nish mentioned, they haven't been to Pakistan in 24 years, but they also haven't played an overseas series, like a test series in probably two years or mm. is it three years now. So in in that respect, how do you think uh, this crop of players, we know what they can do in Australia, but under Pat Cummins and with the current crop of players, how do you feel about their, you know, uh, ability to play in different conditions? It's a fantastic opportunity to be tested in different conditions. And uh, I didn't think Australia bowled that badly on the first two days. Uh, from what I could tell, they, they were trying different things, working really hard. And it, it, there was not a lot of there was not a lot of assistance for them. They did get the ball to reverse a little bit yesterday. Um, the the wicket that Pat Cummins got was was well orchestrated. The the lead up to that LBW, um, it's gonna it's gonna be a real test, uh, particularly now for the batters. You spend two the best part of two full days in the field, uh, physically and mentally exhausting. When when it, it was a batting clinic those first two days. Imam and Azar just I, I early on in Imam's innings, I, I, I said to my ten year old, I said, We can lock Imam in for a big one here, mate. I said, he does not look like he's in any hurry to, <laughs> to do anything silly. I I said, We're just gonna try and enjoy this as best we can because this is this is gonna he he just looked he just looked on and um, depending on how the pitches play as well, I think I think Australia. It's a really good opportunity for Australia to learn how to bowl when the conditions aren't as conducive to their normal modus operandi, the, the normal way that they would go about getting their wickets, um, not assisted by the pace and the bounce that that we have back here at home. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm. I'm still pretty bullish that Australia will um, will put up a really good fight over there, and uh, I'm loving loving the opportunity for guys like Cameron Green, guys like Travis Head, guys like Manus Labuschagne um, yeah. that, that wouldn't have seen these conditions before, and of course Usman. Like I, I'd love to see Usman have have the game, the series of his life um, in this one, but um, yeah, I, I I think as well. Um, from a bowling point of view, it, it is different bowling in the subcontinent and not many 
fast bowlers have done it well consistently uh, as as the history books show. I think I think uh, last time Australia toured there, McGill got wickets for Australia. Uh, time before that, Warney was was getting wickets for Australia. So Damien Fleming hat trick on debut over there. So maybe you could say Damien Fleming got it right straight away. Um, but it's not not an easy task, and sometimes as well, uh, op, these guys playing in the IPL. This is one of the upsides of the IPL for for our guys, and I think we benefited from this in the World Cup that Australia just recently won. Was Josh Hazelwood having the chance to play an IPL final uh, in in the six months preceding that, and getting getting used to bowling to different players, bowling in different conditions learning what works for him and um, just the collective knowledge you get from being in different groups. And I, th- I think that's something that's been really a real good upshot of these World T20 leagues is the collective knowledge sharing that we're getting. And, and we're all learning more about how to get the best in different conditions. Um, but it's, it's not like it's one thing to know what you want to do in those conditions. It's another thing to consistently execute it. And, and that's, that's going to be the real challenge for the Australian bowlers, particularly under fatigue. If they're going to be bowling lots and lots of overs, um, it'll be interesting to see uh, physically and mentally um, the toll that that takes. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because uh, I feel like the last generation of great fast bowlers that we had, you know, somebody like Dale Stain, who um, was just phenomenal, whether it was in South Africa or England, when he came to India, there were, you know, questions about, well, can he do it with the SG ball? Can he do it in the subcontinent? And he just blasted the Indian, uh, Indian batting order out of the attack. And, you know, we knew that we had a real world champion who could turn up anywhere in the world so it'd be amazing to see you know pat cummins come up with that performance um obviously we have to be realistic if he gets a flat batting deck i i don't see how he can produce the same magic that dale stain did but but yeah it was it would be really fun to see if you know um pat cummins and josh hazelwood and michelle stark were all top class bowlers uh, are able to show their pedigree even in the subcontinent absolutely and sometimes sometimes it's just about being being patient enough to stick to your plans when when wickets aren't coming it can be very easy to try and chop and change what you're trying to do Um, but having a clear plan and being committed to executing that plan ball after ball after ball and and wait and sometimes needing to wait for the batter to make a mistake so yeah it's going to be a real a, I, I, it's a cliche they say it all the time but it's why it's called test cricket it is the it is the ultimate test physically and mentally yeah i was just going to add on to that cliche with one more cliche <laughs> saying let's wait till both sides have bad on this deck before we judge uh yeah that's any of the players spot on niche right? so, so so matt um you know, we were talking about Shane Warren earlier and to kind of bring it like almost like a full circle. Um, what do you feel about the spin stocks in Australia? Because sure, there's Nathan Lyon, the goat, as some call him. Yeah. Um, but I was I was trying to like think of who are the leg spinners because you've been talking about Shane Warren's legacy. But then when you look at 
you know, the amount of leg spinners produced, um, you realize, first of all, how difficult that craft is to master it to the extent that Shane Warren did. Uh, and yes, you know, Stuart McGill was there. Um, and I know that Mitchell Swepson is, is around too. Um, but it just seems like, at least in test cricket, it all falls on Nathan Lyon when it comes to spin. And that too, in the subcontinent, I feel like you need more than one person to be really effective. Uh, so what do you what do you feel in general about spin stocks, especially in test cricket? Can someone like Adam Zampa can be developed? Uh, I know that he's very good in limited overs. Can he be worked on and developed uh, to be a good spinner at the test level? It's it's a really good question, and uh, it'd be interesting to go back and have a look at at Shane Warne's numbers playing Sheffield Shield cricket, and compare that to say a Mitchell Swepson or an Adam Zampa or a, a Lloyd Pope. Um, Cameron Boyce, uh, some some of these other guys that have bowled leg spin over the years, because uh, I think you'll find that early on in in Warren's first class career, he he didn't have the impact that we saw him have in Test cricket, and and sometimes and and to use a batting example as well, Amanus Labashane in first class cricket, we didn't see the kind of numbers in his early first-class career then after he got that opportunity when Stephen Smith was concussed in the ashes and then and then Marnus has come in and we've all been thinking, well, where's, where's this guy been? This guy's phenomenal. Um, and so I, I wonder, someone, I, I've, I've, I've commentated a bit of Sheffield Shield cricket and, and seen Mitch Swepson bowl live uh, and really like, really like what I see coming out of the hand and I really think, that he could potentially have a role to play uh, going forward. I still feel like Nathan Lyon is the number one. Uh, I, I, I feel like Nathan Lyon um, would be my first first pick, definitely. But a, a really good question around the likes of an Adam Zampa, and it'd be really good to see him get some more first-class cricket under his belt. Um, another, another young player that I've got massive raps on uh, and I know it's extremely early, and I don't like to put big, big raps on on kids very young. But but what I've seen and heard of Tanvir Sanger, um, this guy, mm-hmm. this guy could be. He he could be uh, the next player to really bamboozle batsmen around the world. He. Um, what, what, what I've seen in short format cricket and what I've seen from him in Sheffield Shield cricket, he's only played a little bit of Sheffield Shield cricket. He's still really young. He's still developing. He's still got a long way to go. And there's still a lot of hours of repetition that he's going to need to do to get to that level. But the, the raw data that I see says that he has the makings of being something really special, Tanvir Sanger. So I, I, I think you're, you're probably looking at, at Nathan Lyon at the moment. If they do opt for a second spinner, there's some talk around whether you play Ashton Agar or whether you, you play Mitchell Swepson. My, my preference would be to play the leg spinner. I do have a very strong leg spin bias in, in all of my thinking, but uh, I, I, I do love the option of a leg spin bowler, the over-the-wrist spinner. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's how I kind of see things sitting at the moment. Um, Keep your eye on Tanvi Sanger. Watch as much footage as you can of him. Um, 
but but I, I think it's Lyon at the moment. And if they do go for a second spinner over there, I I think it uh, Mitchell Swepson is the one that's been biding his time and um, earned the right to be next cab off the rank at this point. So so it, it looks like Australian batting and uh, to an extent, actually, let's say. We could say the Australian batting and the fast bowling lineup pretty much seems like it is set. Um, or, I don't know, do, do you think the Ashes uh, has probably oversold that? <laughs> Was it a case of England just making some of the Australian players uh, look a lot better than they actually are? Yeah, it's that's a good question. Sometimes, and that's the thing about uh, judging on results, sometimes... Sometimes the the results can paper over the cracks a little bit to some extent. I, I don't think that was the case with England. It, it was a tough assignment for England. Their, their last twenty four months um, with with the whole COVID situation, being away from home, traveling in bubbles. Um, I really and this is extremely hard for me to say as, as an Australian cricket fan. I I actually felt a little bit for England. Uh, over here last summer because it, it was tough for them. It was really tough for them. And um, I don't like to show empathy to England, but because um, I'm a big believer that, that that when 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 your team is winning, you need to enjoy it because they're not always going to be winning. So um, uh, I think... Right, right. I think, I think there's enough... I, I've got enough confidence to say that... Um, Australian cricket stocks are in are in pretty good spot, and particularly someone like a Cameron Green, um, it's a great opportunity for someone like a Cameron Green to come into Test cricket because again he's another player who's got all the raw data to suggest, um, uh, in batting alone, even if he never bowled a ball, um, I, I really like the look of Cameron Green as a as a prospect going forward in in the next decade of Australian cricket. Slightly off topic here, um, you know, I was just thinking of England Pakistan, I mean, I'm sorry, Australia Pakistan games from the past, and one game particularly, I remember Pakistan got, you know, shot out for 50s in both their innings and they kind of like crumbled. I think it was in the UAE. Um, so I just like quickly Google right now, and this match was in 2002, and guess who? Right, Pakistan was Shane Warren with eight wickets in the game. So, yeah, just something that randomly came to my mind and complete coincidence. It was Shane Warren. Did did Matt Hayden make a hundred in that game as Hayden, well? Matthew Hayden scored a it was century. really. It, I, 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 from memory, I was living. It, this goes back to what we we're saying before about remembering where you were when different cricketing events happened. I was living in Broken Hill at the time, and I didn't have a television, and I remember following the game on the internet and and it was it was ridiculously hot conditions over there like it was it was it was, it was extreme heat and the players were you had like a towel and stuff yeah and and, yeah. and, and maddie hayden got interviewed after the game and they said oh how'd you go with the conditions out there and he said i didn't think it was that hot and just that cl- <laughs> that classic australian <laughs> queenslander uh, and and it reminded me of Justin Langer when when the um, when the Australians toured UAE. It was in that documentary. I'm not sure if you guys saw the documentary on Amazon 
uh, Amazon Prime, the yeah. covering the Australian cricket team, yep. where um, the Australian cricket team decided that when when they got asked about the conditions, Justin Langer's response was, if we get asked about the heat, we say, we love the heat. We love it. We we love these conditions, and and then and then you just gotta 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 kind of put those. And I just oh, that classic classic Hayden Langer, um, but yeah, Shane Warne um, making the most of it there as well. So yeah, thanks for bringing that one up, Nish. That's a good that's a good memory. I remember I remember following that game online and um, just just uh, bringing back some great memories. The, the one other thing um, I'm curious about, Matt, is uh, cricket is played in, you know, really in only 10-odd countries, so it's not a lot of countries around the world. Um, but what's interesting, and we've had conversations with people from South Africa and, and England, and, and the, the truth is the way people get to the top level is so different, so vastly different in each of these countries. So in England and South Africa, as an example, there's a lot of school cricket um, and that really, you know, being part of a good school is, is really important. In India, it's about being in a good academy, being under a good coach, and that gets you to the right places. You play the right number of matches and your skills get um, noticed. So I guess I'm curious, what's the setup like in Australia? Um, you know, as a young kid, uh, if, are you playing a mix of, you know, for your school as well as club cricket or how does it go? Yeah, I think there's a saying uh, from backyard to baggy green is kind of the Cricket Australia, like the the, the, the roadmap. Uh, everyone kind of starts uh, in their backyard playing socially with the, their brothers or sisters or their mum or their dad or their grandparents or their neighbours, uh, that kind of thing. But the, the traditional uh, formalised cricket starts for five-year-olds. We've got the Woolworths Cricket Blast over here for five to seven-year-olds. It's a wonderful way to meet with other kids and develop the skills of the game. So they use skills-based activities to learn how to bat, learn how to bowl with a straight arm, learn how to throw, learn how to catch. So they do that from ages five to seven. And then they move into the Woolworths Cricket Blast, which is a, a modified format where uh, the, they use plastic stumps. They have uh, a couple of free hit tees on the side of the on the side of the crease the batting crease uh and and the kids the kids bat with a partner they bat for four overs each they come off two more batters come out everyone gets a bowl everyone gets a bat um games games are a nice short and sharp games and then uh, probably it was probably about four or five years ago cricket australia rolled out the new junior playing formats here in australia and so that that meant that kids who were learning the game had had a a, a nice progression based on um, their physical development. Like traditionally, when I grew up, I was I was ten years old bowling on pitches that were twenty point one meters long. And now, for my ten year old, um, he doesn't have to get it all the way down twenty point one meters. They 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 progress the wicket. So in under eleven, you play off a uh, they call it stage one cricket. You play off a 16 meter pitch, and then in stage two cricket, you play off an 18 meter pitch. And stage two uh, goes up to under 13s. And then once once you've finished there, you move to stage three, which is cricket as we know it, off a 20.1 meter pitch. And the other thing they did is reduce the amount of players on the field. So 
in your Woolworths Cricket Blast Master Blasters, it's a six-a-side game, so there's plenty of gaps in the field, have the chance to score runs, have the chance to, to hit gaps in the field and that sort of thing. And then stage one cricket is seven-a-side, stage two cricket's nine-a-side, and then stage three cricket's 11-a-side. So, um, yeah, so the kids do that at their clubs. And then uh, I live in regional New South Wales, so the regional pathway and the, the metropolitan pathway might, might be a little bit different, but... In essence, what you do, you represent your club, you do well for your club, you try out for your local rep team, you do well for your local rep team, and then you get to play in the youth championships, so where all the teams come together, all the best under-13s teams come together. Uh, if you do well in the youth championships, then you get to play in the state challenge, which is metropolitan and regional teams coming together to play against each other. Um in, in over four days of playing cricket and so from 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 those um that's that's the early stages in the pathways but most most of the states would have a an under 17s team and an under 19s team um that they come through and then there's the center of excellence up in queensland uh later on but the early the growing the love of the game happens in in the Woolworths cricket blast for the five to seven year olds that's when they're that's when they're catching and bowling and um, playing all these skills-based games that incorporate the skills of cricket uh, to hopefully be confident enough to then do it in a, in a, in a match setting. So is that, is that give you a, a pretty good snapshot? Is that, is that what you were um, it, it thinking does. about? No, it, it, it really does. And I, I think it's, it's, it's great that they have that, you know, um, you mentioned stage one pitch size and, and all of that. I think that's that's great because I remember a number of years ago, there was a young Indian bowler I, or not even a Pakistani bowler, I can't remember at this point, but um, who was called for chucking. And one of the comments that came out of it, and I think it was Rahul Dravid who said that was, it's not the bowler's fault. He's, he's this young bowler. He just, he's used to trying to bowl on a, 22 yard pitch when he was 12 and so he's developed this faulty action and nobody's corrected him we've tried to ask him to bowl in the 22 yard pitch so it's, it's really smart to see that it's really good to see that even at the junior level there's that adjustment being made um and and you know there's that progression which which absolutely makes sense as as kids grow um, I will say though, you're, it's the first time in my 20 years talking cricket somebody said the cricket pitch is 20.1 meters long. I had no idea about that. I've always heard 22 <laughs> yards, so that's fascinating. <laughs> uh, just a bit of bit of metric for the US audience there, Mayank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Again, you you know our audience so well. <laughs> <laughs> But Matt, is it is it fair to say, um, because, you know, the other thing about watching these uh, clips of Shane Warne and all of that over the last uh, day or so, uh, I was looking at the kind of players in the Australian team. You had the Haydens and the Langers, the Ricky Pontings, uh, Damian Martin, and you had Glenn McGraw, Bradley. You can go on, like, they're the who's who of really, like, the legendary um, uh, Aussies of yore um, and no disrespect to the current Australian team but there's really no one in the current team I'm going to look at and I'm going to be like well 
well, maybe except for Steve Smith occasionally, um, there's no one who strikes fear anymore um, from the Australian team. And and I don't think this is just a recent phenomenon. I feel like it has been this way for uh, with Australian cricket for a while now. Do you think that players are just, you know, they're just so well coached and everything is by the textbook, so to speak, um, that everything, everyone feels like they've come out of like this factory line and there's no unique cricketer out there. Uh, I'm going to quickly interrupt and say, I think Steve Smith still strikes fear in so many bowlers. <laughs> like I said, with a grand exception of Steve Smith. <laughs> It's interesting uh, where you talk about that that dominant era of Australian cricket. Like I, I feel like you, you, you're bowling to Hayden and Langer and you're thinking, oh, gee, Hayden and Langer, how are we going to get these guys out? You get one of them out and then RT Ponting walks out to the middle and then you're like, oh, crikey. Like, like it's just it's just unrelenting, isn't it? Like, And then Damien Martin will come in and um, it just – it just would go on and on. Stephen War would come in, and then and then you get you get you get it get the Aussies five down and good luck, guys. Here's Adam Gilchrist. Go for your life. Knock him over. It's good luck with Trust that. Trust me, we've Gee. all had those memories, traumas <laughs> that we've tried to suppress. So we are very familiar with that. Uh, but yeah, I think I I I don't like the term rebuilding phase, but that there is things go in cycles, and I, I think I think sometimes you come out of an era like that, and you 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 lose a couple of genuine greats of the game at the same time. It does take a while to build that aura and build that presence. Like that Australian team had presence, and that you don't win sixteen Test matches in a row by sheer luck or good fortune. You might win five in a row and have have a few things go your way but that that 16 test matches in a row is is ridiculous um anyway um but I, that that just to say the likes of the the, the manus i i love manus labashane um he he's highly highly regarded in the schoolyard the the kids the kids love manus they love they love shouldering arms and saying no run and they they love all these mannerisms and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and I yeah I don't know like in let let's go back another era. Let let's talk West Indies nineteen eighties and look at their their bowling attack. If you're a batter, you're just thinking yeah see off the new ball, see off the new ball, and then you're like oh no, Ian Bishop's bowling first change or Curtly Ambrose or who like. Marshall, Ambrose, Walsh, Patterson, like there's no, there's, there's no relenting. Um, the, the only time I ever saw that, that team may, maybe relent a little bit. There was a game in Perth. It was the game, it was a game where Jeff Lawson actually got hit in the jaw and had to retire her. It was a game where Mervyn Hughes got a, um, a split hat trick over two innings. It was, it was around Christmas time, um, 88, 89 season. Um, but that that's the only game where the new ball was due that I can think of as a kid growing up. And Viv Richards and was was bowling was bowling off spin and the new ball's due, and I'm thinking, 
Come on, guys, just take the new ball. <laughs> you were wrap this up in five seconds if you take the new ball. <laughs> but I don't know. It must have, it must have just been Viv. Viv was keen, keen to roll the arm over. Graham, Graham Wood made 100 for Australia in that game as well, just as a side note. But, um, but yeah, like, like you say, um, that West Indies team was feared. They were feared and revered. And uh, I don't know... I don't know if there's any team in world cricket at the moment where I'd say has that has that quite that aura. Like New Zealand, the current world test champions, they just seem like a bunch of great blokes who are good at cricket. Um, they 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 seem to do yeah. they seem to do the little things really well. Um, yeah, so so it's a good good question, Benny. And yeah, I'm going to give that some more thought after after we finish here because. That's um yeah that's that's really <laughs> worth pondering. Does the whole you know need to revise the culture of Australian cricket come at a cost of blunting this you know in your face aggression? Well, I think I think New Zealand's a really good example. Um, I think the New Zealand cricket team would be widely respected as being good citizens of the game. Uh, yet yet they win Test matches. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think it is yeah. possible to have both, and I think Australia was it, like the the results that Australia had under Justin Langer, uh, a testament to the fact that you can win and not not be ugly when you're doing it. You know, here's here, here's what I'll say, uh, and, and you alluded to this earlier, Matt, that you know everything is a cycle. Um, you know, when the West Indies were dominating the scene in the in the eighties, the People probably thought that it was going to go on forever. And then uh, when the Aussies were kind of essentially shoving everyone aside and just bulldozing for everyone <laughs> in the 2000s. And as someone who's followed a cricket back then, and I was thinking that I wonder how long this is going to last and how much of this I can take. <laughs> uh, but that came to an end. And I know that India, um, to some extent, are trying to build their own um, version of that, like a, a, a team that can dominate both at home and abroad. There are a few glitches here and there, but but that, in a sense, is um, it, that's the cycle in cricket or probably in sports in general. And I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing because otherwise it just becomes very monotonous and probably can turn off some people if you just go in like me in the 2000s, whenever Australia played, I look at the team and I'm like, well, obviously Australia are going to win. Uh, so I'm glad uh, for the existence of this cycle. And, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing. And, you know, as, as we wrap it up, I'll, I'll just say one more thing, because you kind of mentioned about the uh, how you were feeling sorry for England uh, in the recent ashes. Uh, so earlier today, I was watching... Um, highlights of the uh, Sri Lanka, the ongoing test match between India and Sri Lanka. And, you know, Ravindra Jadeja scored, you know, this brilliant 175 not out. And so I was watching the highlights and my wife who's not a cricket fan, but she kind of has a surface level understanding of the game. She was kind of walking, uh, you know, over and she saw the score and she saw it was like 500 something. And for six, and she was like, why are they still batting? Like, you know, don't they just get bored? Don't you get bored that they're still batting? And I said, listen, I was there when Sri Lanka scored 952 for six and they did 
they declared at 952 for six. And I have no shred of sympathy for the current Sri Lanka team. I have seen, I've been on the other side and this is nothing. So if you ever feel sympathetic towards the English, don't. Okay, it all comes back around and there, there's going to be a time when they're going to dominate you guys. So don't hold on to that. Uh, just, just just, a little side note on big totals. Uh, Queensland played a Sheffield Shield final against Victoria. And uh, in, in the game, they were uh, six, six for 800 and something. And the CEO of Queensland Cricket came up to the came up to the rooms and said to Jimmy Ma, oh, Jimmy, we've got a bit of a problem. And Jimmy said, what do you mean we've got a problem? We're six for 800. Um, there, there's, there's no problem at all. And he said, oh, no, we've got a problem. Uh, the, the GABA scoreboard, if it goes past 999, it goes back to zero. So you either need to declare <laughs> or we need to somehow get a number one up on the scoreboard so, so, so that it could show us thousand. Anyway, G- Jimmy Ma, <laughs> Jimmy Ma ended up um, declaring it six for nine hundred, and I don't think Victorian fans have ever forgotten it. So, um, yeah, uh, just, just, just a little side note there. That is such, that is such a great example of the beauty of cricket. I mean, you cannot find these kind of obscure things or incidents in any other sport. Only in cricket. Yeah. Uh, but on that note, Matt, uh, this was uh, just a total fun conversation, a very fascinating conversation. And, you know, uh, thank you so much, first of all, for, you know, sparing your time, but also for sharing your thoughts on Rodney Marsh and Shane Warren. I know that the whole cr- cricketing fraternity uh, will still take some time to kind of process this, uh, process this loss, but. Cricket, uh, like life, moves on, and all we can do is, you know, you know, through the players, through the fans, still keeping them, you know, Ronnie Marsh and Shane Warren in our memories, and hoping that their legacy continues to live on. Uh, but yes, thank you so much uh, for, you know, sparing your time with us, and for our listeners, uh, you can hear more of Matt at the Cricket Library podcast. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter at Cricket Library. And uh, do check out his book, For the Love of Cricket, Haiku Poems Inspired by the Summer Game. Uh, the Kindle version is now available on Amazon.com. And for more details, you can visit thecricketlibrary.com. So once again, Matt, thank you so much. And uh, I really hope uh, Australia, kind of uh, the Australian team, starts to improve on the first two days of the first test. Yeah, um been my absolute pleasure, Benny, Nish, and Mayank. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate talking to people that love the game as much as you guys do. And uh, congratulations on the work you're doing with your podcast as well. It's it's great that you're in the United States and that you're sharing a love of the game with, with the people over there. And it really is great to be a part of the wider cricket community. And, yeah, thanks for, for inviting me into your world for – for today and i really appreciate um any conversation i have about cricket but particularly enjoyed this one today with you guys thanks so much for having me you're welcome matt not 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 everybody can write uh haiku poems so we all do our part (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's good 
That's good. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts Benny, Mayank, Nish, and Himanish. For more details, please visit thelastwicket.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate, and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.